Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. This is Abir with another episode of Spiritual Badassery. Today I have the wonderful Sara Ribeiro or Ribeiro. Yes, <laughs> the reason I wanted to get you on the podcast is because you were talking to me about this feeling of pain or void or emptiness that you were feeling. And I wonder if you could share with us a little bit more about that. Well, um, so as I told you before, um, I thought I had gone through this before, uh, this feeling of not fitting in the world anymore, this feeling that I don't really know who I am, this big hole inside my belly, like in my root chakra, that keeps telling me like, you're, you're almost there, you're not there yet. And I've been through depression, <laughs> like two years ago and I thought that was it after I went through that and I started to deal with spirituality and work as a therapist I thought that was it I was perfect again I had no depression anymore no anxiety I had everything I wanted and then life happened and here I am again struggling with not the same problems but the same feeling of I'm not there yet when you and say I'm not there yet, what are we talking about? Where is there? I feel like it's my purpose of life. You know, like the thing that you came to do in your life. I, I, I believe that everybody has someone, has something to do in this earth. When, you, when you're born here, um, you're supposed to do something or be someone. And we just don't know yet. We have to look for it. And I believe if you know yourself, you can, you can just realize it, but it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to get to know yourself and to be true to yourself, to what you really want. Yeah. And I've been living this process of accepting who I am. And I thought I had accepted before, but I just realized I didn't because I'm still asking, what do I really want? Because I'm still not having that feeling of, okay, that's it. I'm doing what I'm what I'm meant to do. Okay. Okay, maybe this is going to sound like a, a weird question that has no answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why do you feel that you need to do something? Um, I feel when I don't have a purpose in my life, I get depressed. I get depressive. Because I feel like I cannot be here only for buying things or, I don't know, having sex or, you know, like, I, it can't be it. Life is more than just working for buying and working for having pleasure. Uh, I think there's something else. Was there um, a time where you started realizing that there is more to life? So, since I was born, I think, since I was a little kid, I used to feel the thing that something was inside me. A, this energy in my belly since I was five years old I remember to feel that to like a lot of superheroes like Spider-Man I used to watch the movies I think like oh that's a guy who is doing something and then I started to go to to to, go to church every Saturday a Catholic church with my friends and I was just like so obsessed with Jesus because Jesus was this nice guy who was doing something and I wanted to be like that I wanted to do something I just didn't know what and then when I was 18 years old, 
um, I was hit by a truck and I almost died and I got um, my leg amputated. I, I guess that's how you say it. That was a life changing, a, a life turnover for me because everything changed. It was 10 years ago and I remember to wake up in the hospital uh, after a two days coma and feel inside me that something has changed and that that feeling of I almost died made me start to awake because I wanted to be alive and to be um, to be active I just I, I didn't feel like my life was finished by there I remember my family around me and my friends and everybody was so concerned about my mental health and people used to tell me like you're gonna get through it you're gonna be fine don't don't worry um, but you will never have your life like it was before because they thought I would never be able to walk normally again or to have a proper job or even to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to travel the world. And, and I was only 18 years old. I didn't used to do anything with my life. I was always like church, college, house. And so you're saying that you're saying that you lost your leg after that accident and everyone around you was projecting that feeling that you're not gonna be the same like before, which I believe is true to some extent because you, you, you lost a leg, but you felt something different. Yeah. You saw yeah. that as an opportunity to start living properly I was a little bit worried. I, I cannot lie to you. When I woke up, I remember that feeling of, oh my God, <laughs> what happened? I have a test. I was just about to go to, the, to college to have a big exam, a final exam. And I remember to wake up in the hospital and I didn't remember anything about my accident. And I asked the nurse, what am I doing here? Can I go to college? What happened to my exam? And she was like, you got hit by a truck. And then I still felt my leg because when you get amputee, um, you get amputated. You don't. Your brain it doesn't it doesn't stop working. Like you can feel your toes. You can feel everything. It's it's hard to explain. It's but I remember so to feel my leg. So energetically, <laughs> you're saying energetically, you still kind of believe that it's there. So your body is reacting as if your leg was still there. Yeah, and I believe it's almost also because of the nerves in my leg because they chop it. But you still have nerves in there. They were connected to your foot, mm. to my foot. And I remember to feel it. And I was like, oh, what happened to my leg? Because I still feel it, but I, it's weird. It's not the same thing. It's not that heavy anymore. What, what's going on here? And I couldn't move. <laughs> I couldn't look at it. And the doctors didn't want to tell me. And I remember my mom came to, my, to the room. And then they finally told me, like, I'm sorry. There was nothing we could do. We had to amputate it. And I remember I should feel the thing in my heart like, oh my God. And I had this image of myself like, uh, like a movie. I, I started to remember every time that I had like big walks or I was jumping or I was doing all this stuff. They're so normal. And I had this feeling like, what if I never do that again? But I, I didn't want to think of that because I, I knew it would be harder. And 
all the people around me was thinking the same. They were smiling at me and saying, you're going to get through it. But I could see in their eyes, like, poor Sarah. <laughs> what is she going to do now? She's so young. And But you, yeah. did, you, you, you didn't look at it that way. Of course, I'm sure you were saying you went through the fear and, you know, the shock and all of that. But uh, when I was talking to you off camera, obviously, because you're my housemate, you were telling me that you decided that you're not going to let that stop you. And instead of looking at yourself as a victim, you decided to go and, you know, uh, train yourself to walk. And now I know you guys can't see her, but if you see the energy she has and the way she walks, you would never guess that you have uh, a prosthetic leg. Yeah. So what, what, what made you so I know you were saying that you didn't want that to define you. You wanted to just prove no, to yourself. It's an important part of my life and it actually made me, it's part of my awakening. And I strongly believe that we, we, we choose things that we want to do before we, we were born, like in a spiritual place, you know. And, and I felt really calm. I felt like I always knew that something was going to happen to me, something huge, something big. And I think this accident was very big because it gave me, it gave me purpose, like in a way, it gave me purpose. I remember that before, just before the accident, um, I used to think like something's gonna happen this year to me. <laughs> I think I'm gonna win the lottery. I don't know, I had this feeling like, I think I'm gonna win the lottery. I think I'm gonna, something's gonna happen. I think something's gonna happen. And then when it happened, I just felt so stupid. I was like, I knew something was gonna happen and it, it wasn't a lottery. I just, I got hit by a truck. <laughs> but at the same time it was, I can't say like, oh, it's a good thing, go there and be hit by a truck. But I, I think you can choose what you're gonna do with things in your life that happens in your life. Like shit happens, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and you, you can choose. Yeah, you can choose to, to suffer or you can choose to deal with it in the best way possible. And I'm actually writing about it, as I told you, off cameras as well. I think it's a good way to, to use it for good. Yes. And well, I, I was telling you before, people used to tell me like, through it, but I knew the doctor used to tell me you're going to get through it, but you will never be able to run again. You will never be able to walk like you used before. But before the accident, I also read a lot of self-help. Um, is it like to call it? Self-help. Yeah. And there's an author, a Brazilian one, a psychologist. His name is Augusto Curry. Mm -hmm. He is very good. He's well, very well known uh, in, psychology, uh, in psychology group. And he talks a lot about um, having the miracle of life and how you were the, the lucky spermatozoid <laughs> because you were the one who got through the uterus and he has this line in his book and he, it was in my mind in the hospital I was he helped me a lot and I started to visualize myself like I stayed three months in, in my bed I couldn't walk because I didn't have a prosthetic leg yet and I couldn't take a shower by myself I couldn't go to the bathroom I couldn't do anything I was three months depending on my family to do everything. And 
well, you can imagine how hard it is when you're 18 years old. Yeah. And, but I remember I used, I, I used to keep myself like visualizing that I was walking. I could see my feet on the ground with the prosthetic leg. And I used to think like, that's it. And I used to feel that feeling like the sun in my, in my skin and the smell and the noise that I would, la that I would hear like in parks. And some parts of me were like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You're never going to get through it. But a huge part wanted to hold into it. And in three months, I was walking. And That's the doctor told me, like, you're going to start to walk in you know, one year. And in three months, I was there already. So amazing. I don't know. And I think what, what you're saying is so important because uh, many people really look at their reality as you cannot do anything with it. And from what I learned about the law of attraction and what you mentioned about visualization, sometimes you have to see something in your mind's eye before it becomes reality. Not sometimes, all the time. And sometimes when we look at the physical reality, it tells us everything that allows thoughts of limitation to come into our minds, but you have to be stronger than those thoughts and create something out of your imagination or visualization. And why do you say that, yes, you didn't win the lottery, and yes, maybe this experience wasn't pleasant, but it served you, served you in a way? How did it serve you? So, um, as I told you before, during my, my life, I was very... Um, submissive um i used to want to, to make everyone happy all my family happy so i was studying law i don't want to study law but i wanted to make my mom proud and in my relationships i was always doing what people wanted me to do i was dating men and after that i just realized that they were girls and I wasn't, I wasn't able to access it because I was so obsessed with being good for other people that I couldn't be good for myself. And then when I almost died, it was so strong in my mind. I was like, what am I doing? I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? I couldn't have, I couldn't be, I couldn't have died. I remember to see things I saw. Um, I don't know do that before um, that I woke up in my in my room just before the nurse come in and I had like this this moment when I couldn't breathe and I thought that was it I couldn't breathe and there was like a red button beside my, my bed and I could um, press it if I had any emergency and I remember to press it because I couldn't I didn't have the strength um, to breathe properly so I needed more oxygen and for like two seconds, I felt like something happened because I wasn't feeling okay. And I looked to my, to my side and I saw this wonderful, amazing looking guy wearing black clothes. He looked just like John Travolta <laughs> and he had these blue eyes. And I was like, am I, going, am I going to be okay? But I was like, I just, I didn't have anything to do. I don't know. I, I feel like death feels like something very calm you don't it just it's just like going to sleep i thought i was going to sleep but something it was different and then this guy looked at me and he just waved like so you were hallucinating or i was seeing someone <laughs> or i i feel like 
I was almost dying because then the nurse came with a, big, a huge like oxygen tube and she put it in my nose. I couldn't breathe. How you and never told me this before? So I never thought of it. No. <laughs> so the part is, I looked for it on Google. I searched for it, like guy wearing black death. And then there are loads of <laughs> stories about people who saw the same guy. God, at I least he's handsome. <laughs> Imagine this ugly standing beside your bed. Welcome. <laughs> people told me like, oh, be careful. It could be the demon. It was the devil. But I didn't feel like it was the devil. I felt like it was some creature, like this death angel. I don't know. So, someone. Who well, that's good news for women. If you die, there is a death angel who's really hot who's coming to get you. <laughs> so if your relationships are fucked up during life. <laughs> so you're saying that that moment where you were so close to death allowed you to realize how you were living, but like a dead person because you weren't really putting yourself out in the way that you're meant to live. So you weren't doing the things that you love. Yeah, I can relate to that because uh, when I was going about my life, I was like so obsessed with success and I wanted to be a, a well-known actor and I wanted to do all these things and have loads of money and have this and have that. And I think that I think I know now that I needed to get sick in order for me to realize that all of these things I wanted, they were out of lack and of feeling unsafe in myself and feeling unsafe in the world. I thought that if I can get all these things, I can be someone, I can be seen, but my illness helped, I, again, I hate saying my illness, the illness I experienced has helped me to realize that I wasn't being myself and I wasn't looking after myself and I was trying to fill the void from outside resources, but the void was there. You were talking to me about the void. Can you explain what is this void? What are you feeling the past while? I always felt this feeling of emptiness. I don't know if this is a human thing as I keep reading philosophy books and religion books and spirituality books that tells me that everyone, every single person in the world feel empty inside and we just have to deal with it. But for me, um, I realized that I had this empty hole because of a lack of self-esteem, self-love. Um, I was also adopted. <laughs> uh, so I had to go through this trauma and to realize that I wasn't, well, I wasn't that person who was desired by the biological mom. I know loads of people have this feeling. Lots of adopt, adopted child can feel that, but in my family, I couldn't talk about it properly. It was like a big taboo. Um, we just used to ignore this this thing in my life, this part of my life, and I have I, I, I learned to ignore my true story. So I just made this big novel in my head, like, I'm gonna be a lawyer. My life is okay. I'm just sad because, well, maybe I'm a rebel. I'm not happy enough. I'm not grateful enough for my life. I should be more grateful. That's it. I don't have anything wrong with me. And then something nice happened because 
in Brazil, there is a law that when you're um, when you're hit by a truck or you suffer any accident, any transit accident, the person who caused you that can give you like something to repair. So I earned some money from that, <laughs> something like to make me um, live with my my new life without a leg. And thanks to that, I'm here in Ireland today. And it was my biggest dream to travel the world. So I remember with the money, I um, I went to New York and I stayed there for one month because it was the biggest dream of all. And I felt like, okay, I lost my leg. What can I do now? Because at least I have money. So I'm gonna do something to worth it. And I went to New York. I had the dream life for one month. And after that, I decided to come to Dublin. And here in Dublin, I, I started to go through deep stuff because I was alone. I didn't have my family. I didn't have my friends. I didn't have my cats. So I wasn't um, looking to anybody, anyone else but me. And the empty was still there after I realized all my biggest dreams because my dreams were to travel the world. So I was like, okay, now, now I have all my dreams come true. What, what is it? What is life now? Is that it? Like you have to keep having these objectives, these dreams in your life that you just keep achieving it. And it's like this feeling of it's never enough. What is going to be enough? I just had these terrible thoughts about how my life wasn't that good. And I wasn't feeling, I, I didn't love myself. I felt like I was worthless. I didn't do anything good because I was just here being a childminder, taking care of kids. And I felt very guilty for not being that lawyer that my mom wanted me to be, or for not being that married person that my ex-boyfriend wanted me to be, and who I wanted to be. To discover that I had to go through loads of therapies, and I connected to myself um, to try to understand it. Um, and then everything started to bloom. Okay, that's it. I'm not, I, I didn't know myself. So who am I? And it was so painful. That was the part, that was, I think, the second part of my awakening. The first one was in the accident. And then the second one was during the depression. And the third one is now. Sometimes those difficult situations are what's going to turn your life around and allow you to experience things that you've never experienced before. Before, excuse me. And what I love about your story, especially with the, you know, the prosthetic leg, is that you did not, you did not allow that to limit you. And also you wouldn't travel the world because otherwise you wouldn't have had the money to spend on the travel and all of that. So in one way, yes, it was very difficult, but it served you as well. Yes. And I think it's also important to say that, you know, if you lost a leg or I don't know, your family threw you away, or we could look at that as our reality forever. Or we can try to find a way to um, create something new out of it. I think the accident gave me the strength to accept my body in a physical way. Because I was always feeling ugly. And I was always feeling like this nerd girl who no one wanted to kiss or have a relationship with. And it's so funny because when I lost my leg, I was like, that's it. I have nothing else to do. I cannot hide myself. That's who I am. Now I'm definitely, I, I used to think I was a weirdo before. So after the accident, I had to accept that maybe I was 
I was a weirdo and that, that's it. And that's not bad. So I started to love my body after that. It's so funny. Today, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty. I, I look at myself in the mirror. With, I have four prosthetic legs. So sometimes I change the leg. And I just feel like it's okay. Like you can love yourself independent, like not thinking about, oh, look at my cellulite or look at my, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes we just hate our hair. We hate our nose. I used to hate my nose. I, I used to like want to save money just to do a surgery. Yeah. So the accident helped me inside and outside. So gave it money. helped you to appreciate your body. Yeah. Yeah. Gave me everything. That's wonderful. Now I want to focus with you on now. What exactly are you going through emotionally? Because I think that's the ego death part. And I think it's so important to talk about that. The third part of my awakening is now. Yes. <laughs> I realized that again, I was going through a phase where I was trying to be someone that I thought I should be instead of the person that I really am. Because after all the therapies, I was like, okay, now I know myself. So now I can have success. I can have a good job. I can have a good money, a good relationship. I can get married. I can, let's see, I'm going to do everything now. Now I'm doing great. And I realized I wasn't. I still was trying to be someone that I thought I should be. I, I wasn't trying to be someone that my family wanted or my partner wanted, but I was trying to be this, this uh, illusion that we have in our minds, like of perfection. And I'm just accepting it now that I'm something different. Uh, like I want to be a writer. I always wanted to be a writer, write books, and that's it. But some parts of me were like, writers have no money. Writers are just writers. How can you live being a writer? You should do something better. I don't want to work in a shop. I want to be a writer. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be a psychologist. I want to be a writer. So I'm telling this to you and I keep telling this to myself. Every day when I wake up, I'm like, I am a writer. <laughs> I have to accept it. I've been writing since I was four years old. Like, you know who you are. If you keep thinking about what so your heart really was. You knew this from a young age that that's what you wanted to be. I always, I was always around books. I was always telling stories. And I was always this person who was like, I like to read. Can I read more? I used to ask my mom, like, can you teach me how to read? I loved everything about it. But especially in Brazil, uh, writing isn't a big thing. People don't take you seriously. You have to have a good family or have a, a rich family to be a, a writer who's really oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why they were like, you cannot be a writer. You should be a lawyer. <laughs> Very interesting what you're, what you're saying, because many times when we're going through the awakening and the process of ego death, we think it's just like a one straight line. Okay, now I've worked through my stuff. Everything is fine. And the next thing you see is life hitting you on the other side. Because the unconscious beliefs that we have and we took from our society are so deep. It's so hard to get rid of them with one session. It's like every time you get hit by the universe, this is another therapy session. Because every time you dig deeper and deeper and deeper and you realize, oh, I never thought I could do this, but this is who I am. 
And then all these little parts that you've abandoned uh, because you thought they were weird or unacceptable or because your family thought this is not what you're supposed to do. All of these things start coming back. And then suddenly you're like, oh, I'm this person that I never thought I would be. Yet deep down, you always knew that's who you're supposed to be. Right? And you have to be very brave to, to deal with yourself and to show yourself to the world because that's what I'm going through now. I was very shy. I'm, I've always been shy. I, don't, I didn't like to post on Facebook or to show other people my texts or to, to, to tell other people, like, I'm a therapist. I don't know. I, I had this feeling like I'm not this, this voice in my head. You're not a therapist. Come on. You're not a writer. You're just, you're just you. You're not good enough. So I'm in that part of my life where I'm trying to be bigger than the voice and actually do things. And I'm still being afraid and being shy. But this week I started to show my text to people and to translate and write in English, write in Portuguese. And I don't know, um, I started a course, a writing, a creative writing course as well. And these are small steps that are um, taking me to myself again. Mm -hmm. And it's so good. It's feeling like it's warm, but at the same time, it's terrifying because I feel so lonely. Yeah, um, because only you yourself is the, are the only person who can see yourself. Does it make sense? Like, my mom's not here giving me applause. She's not like, yeah, go through it. When I tell her what I'm doing, she's just like, well done, very good. <laughs> I am the one who is cheerful. I'm the one who's like, oh my god, look oh at me. This is the most important thing that we talked about many important things but this is so important and thank you for bringing it up because if i learned one thing about awakening and you know what even there are people who went through a, an awakening but they see it as a self-development thing they don't see it as a spiritual thing and that's absolutely fine but the one thing we um always like i always see in people is that um they have to become their own parents. So for example, if I wasn't given the love that I expected to get from my parents or from my society, and everyone told me that I am worthless, the most important thing in the awakening process and in getting back your self-confidence is to start being the mother and the father you always wanted to yourself. They cannot fix you now because the damage is done but what you can do is to start saying to yourself no i love you if i feel lonely i'm gonna give you a hug and i remember when you were telling me about this stuff and how much you were feeling lonely i remember days where i was sleeping in my bed and feeling so lonely and so disgusting and i experienced so much pain that my body was shaking like, uh, I don't know, like I was on drugs or something. And that would go on for hours. And that's nothing but extreme pain and releasing of energy that I have held on or beliefs and pain that I've held on for so long. And I was constantly trying to numb it. Now that we we're talking about numbing, I want to ask you about how did you manage to numb your pain for so long? What kind of things did you do? Um, well, the, 
the easiest part, I, I feel like everybody does that. You just keep entertained. <laughs> but that's not the, the point. That's what I'm avoiding to do right now. Because when you're watching a movie or reading a book, you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about something, something else, another story. At the same time, it is good sometimes, you know, when you have all these problems that you cannot solve, it's nice to have a distraction, something that's nice, like art that can actually give you energy. Mm -hmm. But the way I've been coping is writing. <laughs> I write about my feelings and this helped me a lot, a lot. It has been helping me like my entire life i didn't realize i was doing it in a um, therapeutic way i just realized it now that i'm studying psychology um i realized like okay i've been writing in journals my entire life just because i wanted to, to, to put this somewhere and play the guitar as well like i feel like if you have hobbies and things that make you your brain work and you actually like you are working for your new skills but i have to say that this is not numbing now this is channeling the energy yes so while you could look at some things like watching tv as distractions and maybe relationships being yeah. uh, in relationships constantly those are distractions but what you're doing now which i've noticed in the past week you are like working, working, doing things that you love. You're doing lots of art, which is actually what we want to do with that energy because you're in a creation mode. You're creating something out of your pain and that's actually therapy, self-therapy, rather yes. than distraction. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it gives me the strength to keep going. Um, I'm still not where I want to be. Like my goal is... I don't know, being a writer who has money for it and who can live off writing, but I'm not there yet. But I'm learning about patience. I think if you who is watching that is going through the same, through the same moment in your life, you will need patience. I am needing patience. I'm, I'm working through patience for things that I cannot change. I cannot change. The weather in Dublin, which is very cold right now, and we cannot see other people because we're locked down. We are stuck in our houses and I cannot see my friends. I don't have any distraction. I don't have um, people to see and feel loved. I have to give myself this love. It's not like, it's not a, a straight line. I feel like it's like that. Today, I'm perfect. I feel like I'm up. I can do loads of things. I'm laughing, I'm, I'm talking to you. But you saw me this week on Wednesday. I just wanted to cry and I felt like the world was a dark place, <laughs> hopeless place. And the best thing I do these days is to make myself some tea and go to my bed, read a good book, try to give me some love. Then judging yourself, allow yourself to be. It, it, can, it can sound silly. Sometimes I find myself silly, but what can I do? Like it's me. Just yeah, to laugh a little bit more instead of taking everything so seriously. Yeah. I used to do this all the time where every time I post something, I'm like, oh my God, I must be so stupid. How could I post this thing? It's not good. It's not good. Now, even if I think that isn't, it's not going to be great. If I have the feeling that it's okay, I still post it because 
I learned not to judge myself so much and also not to take so much, um, like not to consider other people's opinions as much. Because it's, it's an experiment. You just have to try things and see what kind of sticks, right? Yeah. And I started to feel like, when you look at other people on Instagram, at least for me, it's like that. When I see other girls who are posting interesting things, I'm just like, oh my God, it's so nice that she posted that. I, want, I wanted to see it. And I love your posts, Abir. I'm like, oh my God, look at this story. Look at this picture. It's so good. So why can I not feel the same for myself, for my posts? You know, like, Try to feel for you what you feel for others. It's yes. not that hard. It shouldn't be that hard. Yes. Yeah, sometimes we're nicer to ourselves than to, to other people than we are to ourselves. And we believe in other people more than that we believe in ourselves. But um, yeah, I think all this work that we're doing and you're doing now is you returning to yourself just like I learned to return to myself and still learning because also for me there are so many layers coming up all the time and the theme that came out this past week for me is the the illusion that I had of not being safe within myself coming up again and I'm clearing that so every time you have some weird strange experience that makes you feel like the world is so horrible it's always good for you because you are clearing some unconscious things and you're returning back to yourself. Thank you so much. This was so pleasant and I'm so happy we got to chat to you today. Um, Thank you I, for inviting me. Not at all, yeah. I feel like I could talk to you for three hours. It's so, <laughs> it's good. Natural. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So I'm gonna leave your um, um, Instagram uh, in the description box below if people want to see your work. Guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you are listening to this on any podcast platform, um, I have a YouTube channel, Abir Yunus. I'll leave the name on uh, the podcast thingy um, where you can come and have a look at my other videos. And I would really appreciate it if you can like, subscribe, share. If you're here on YouTube, please comment and let us know what you think about all of this. Until next time, we speak to you soon. Ta-da! Oh, no. <laughs> <All right>, thank you. <laughs>